This week's edition of the Old Country Radio Hour, featuring 70 RPM records, and we opened up with a couple of nice ones. Uh, James P. Johnson did uh, Jersey Sweet, and then Josephine Baker sang Breezing Along with the Breeze. So I am Courtney T. Edison. I am the Old Codger. I'm here every week. And uh, many people at this radio station at WFMU are jealous of my success as a broadcaster. They envy the fact that I've been on radio longer than WFMU has existed, and I'm still at the top of my game, even while WFMU has become a fifth-rate station that appeals primarily to head-scratching lower primates. The DJs here have accused me of reprehensible crimes against the profession, but they're mistaken. Not all crimes are reprehensible. There are many legal distinctions in the criminal spectrum. There are misdemeanors, uh, there are felonies. And crimes in general can be premeditated, unforgivable, justifiable, honorable, and praiseworthy. Some deserve various forms of punishment, including some severe punishment. Others merit public acclaim, awards even. Look for my so-called crimes on that end of the spectrum. On the other end, there is Fablio. His nickname is the Infidel. Well, most recently, talking about the crimes, two WFMU staffers, who shall not be named, but you can refer to them as Clown Number 12 and Clown Number 23. They're all clowns, and I have them numbered all the way to Clown Number 157. Anyway, these two clowns have accused me of failure to pay taxes. I don't know where they got this information, unless my ex-girlfriend Blossom Moskowitz ratted me out. If I haven't paid taxes for years, that's a, that's a big if. It's because my accountant knows all the loopholes. My accountant is uh, Julius Klontarf. He works for the firm of, uh, of Howard, Fine, Howard, and Klontarf. Julius is a bewhiskered CPA with a green visor. He's got an eye patch and an advanced degree from Bodenheim Financial Academy. Julius is tough. He has a pet vulture that sits on his shoulder while he works. The vulture also has a green visor, an eye patch, and an accounting degree from Bodenheim. They were, they were classmates. Anyway, this man gleefully takes advantage of every tax break in the U.S. code. And where he can't find a loophole, 
He manufactures one made of bricks and steel. So even if I announced here <laughs> on the radio that I've been proudly, defiantly cheating on my taxes for the past 90 years, the IRS will never prove a damn thing, and I won't be penalized a buffalo nickel. So there, clowns. Well, let's get back to the music here on WFMU. Here's a, I had a request last week for Harry Reeser. So here's something from uh, Harry Reeser's Six Jumping Jacks.
But if you got a good man And don't want him Take no away from you Girls, if you got a good man And don't want him Take no away from you
We just heard another set of fine music here on the Okaja Show. At the beginning was uh, Harry Reeser's Six Jumping Jacks, and they sang The Coat and the Pants Do All the Work. Ida Cox with a four-day creep, Billy Kyle uh, with between sets. From the Washingtonians, we heard Black and Tan Fantasy and Frankie Trumbauer and his orchestra with Ostrich Walk here on WFMU. It is the old Codger show. Now, a few months ago, I played a few music soundtracks from the Flip the Frog motion pictures from the 1930s. I would like to play you another one. Now, if you don't remember, or if you weren't listening then, or if you were listening and vaguely remember, or, or you misremember, I, I know the drill. Uh, my old pal, Felix Dugglesby, was a star in vaudeville in the 1930s. He wore a frog suit. It was funny for some reason that now escapes me, or I misremember, or maybe it wasn't funny, or maybe I wasn't listening when Felix was on stage because I was in Sophie Tucker's dressing room fiddling with her corset. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, Felix uh, went to Hollywood, and he tried to get work in films as Felix the Frog, but he got sued by a nasty actor named Felix the Cat. Now, Felix the Cat was known to bribe judges, and he had mob connections on the West Coast. Also, the cat lobby is so much more powerful than the frog lobby. It was then, and it still is today. If you're a working frog, the system is stacked against you. So, anyway, Felix the Frog, if you're still following the story, uh, he changed his character's name to Flip the Frog. He starred in his own series of short films, which made him very popular. Ladies love men who dress as frogs. You didn't notice? Read the memo. Flip earned millions in Hollywood in just a few years. He also went through a species change, and he became an actual frog. He was a trendsetter. Nowadays, anyone can self-identify as a reptile, but Flip underwent the medical procedures for a full transition. This was unheard of at the time. But anyway, Flip the Frog wasted his fortune on loose women, and he began to imbibe heavily. He became a drunken brawler, and his life went downhill, and his career ended. He was at uh, Charlie Chaplin's mountain retreat when he perished in a sauté with minced garlic, onion, fresh parsley, and clarified butter. Anyway, here is the soundtrack from, uh, from uh, Flip the Frog's film uh, Chinaman's Chance here on the Olcotcher Show on WFMU.
Josh Fitzbad loved Jericho. Jericho, Jericho. Josh Fitzbad loved Jericho. And the walls came tumbling down. This is the old Kaiser broadcasting from my pouting shanty on uh, Springdale Avenue in East Orange on WFMU. Now, uh, we, we listened to music there from, uh, we heard a soundtrack from the Flip the Frog cartoon, Chinaman's Chance. I hope you enjoyed it with all the sound effects and the dialogue featuring Flip the Frog, my old friend, Felix. His name was Felix, but he was a frog, not a cat. And then we heard Ethel Waters with I Ain't Gonna Sin No More, kind of a religious theme here, Selma Carpenter, did uh, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho? Oh, on 70 RPM Records here on WFMU. Now, I've got some really exciting news for you. Lola Bell, she's my agent, Lola Bell Pancake, she is talking with a very famous school of continuing education in West Caldwell, New Jersey. Well, we, we cannot yet reveal the identity of the school, but it's famous, and it's in West Caldwell. The discussions involve me being a guest professor at this school. I will provide an in-class course in pouting. That's right, the old codger pouting lessons so you can properly learn how to pout. So often it's done wrong, and it looks like a pitiful pose. There's nothing convincing about the way most people pout. And the way they do it, when they do it wrong, they will not achieve what they intend to achieve, which is sympathy and or regret in the person or the society that made you want to pout in the first place. Pouting is not just a look. It's an attitude. And if you do it wrong, you just look constipated. The course I will give will discuss the finer points of pouting. Uh, the facial expressions, the, the arm position, the elbow placement, and the endurance. We will teach exercises to develop the pouting muscles. You can pout like a champ with the old codger's pouting lessons. And remember the apostrophe after pouting so you don't think this is a Canadian cooking course about how to pour gravy over fried potatoes and cheese. Uh, the old codger's pouting lessons will be fully professional because I'm giving them. And as Lolabelle says, when it comes to the proper practice of pouting, I am, she says, a credentialed in that modality. Well, I would never put it that way, but Lola Bell understands how to communicate in the academic world. So I'm really glad to convey this exciting news. We will have more about it so you can sign up for the Old Codger Pouton Lessons at this very famous school of continuing education in West Caldwell, New Jersey, uh, that we can't identify right now because we have not signed the contracts yet. We are still negotiating about salary. <laughs> well, anyway, let's get back to some music here on the Okaja Show on WFMU. Everything you hear is a 78 RPM record, starting out now with Hank Fort and the Homesteaders. I guess I'm the kind that was failing To trust everyone from the start No matter how doubtful the outcome I'm a cinch to lead with my heart Yes, I gave you a smile for every slap And forgave you for every lie And though I took you for better or worse <laughs> You can't treat me worse, dear Here's why you can cheat, you can lie, you can blacken my eye, but you can't hurt me now, cause I'm dead. You can act like a brute, you can even bring suit, <laughs> but I don't give a hoot, cause I'm dead. I tried all I could, dear, to please you. I did everything that you bid. But you went a little too far, dear Cause when you said, dear, drop dead, dear, I did You can spread 
spray me with flit. You can stay, you can get, but you can't hurt me now, cause I'm dead. You can laugh at my folks, you can tell your jokes, but they won't kill me now, cause I'm dead. You can ply me with booze, you can hot foot my shoes, but I won't pull my fuse, cause I'm dead. I know that it was your intention to belt me once more, dear, at least. But please, for the sake of convention, darling, desist, I'm deceased. If you want me someday, while me come right away, I'll arrive D.O.A. cause I'm dead. You bought me such cheap little dresses I felt so ashamed in a crowd But just get a load of me now, dear In my new Hattie Carnegie shroud But if you change your mind And become sweet and kind Then I'll take back all that I said Tulsa, October 23rd. Mrs. Raymond E. Lubbock orders Mr. Lubbock to extinguish his cigar. Lubbock, clenching his cigar between his teeth, drags his wife to a nearby closet and locks her in. I've had it up to here with all this female equality bunk. All I wanted to do was smoke my R.G. Dunn cigar. Today, Ray Lubbock's closet is a national shrine. Keep a cigar in your hand and your woman under your thumb. And a revolution is underway. If you feel like smoking a cigar, mister, you'll smoke it. It's time to take a stand. Harry, put out that cigar. Lucille, take a hike. This report was brought to you by R.G. Dunn Cigars in the interest of man. If the woman in your life doesn't let you smoke your good R.G. Dunn Cigars, kick over her vanity table. On your way out. Brother Coolidge. Yeah. I got a few bones to pick with you tonight. Been on my chest for a long, long time. Uh, You've been round your back biting me and talking about me. Yeah. You know that ain't right. No. Brothers, do you think that's right? No. No, sir. Do you call that religion? No, no. Do you call that religion? No, no. Do you call that religion? No, no. Don't scandalize my name. Call that a brother? No, no. Do you call that a brother? No, no. Do you call that a brother? No, no. Scandalize my name. Do you call that an elder? No, no. Do you call that a deacon? No, no. Do you call that an elder? No, no. Don't scandalize my name. Call that religion? No, no. Do you call that religion? No, no. Do you call that religion? No, no. Don't scandalize my name.
I'd be lost without 
Close out uh, this week's old cadre show with Ruth Heading uh, singing "You're the Cream in My Coffee." Uh, earlier in that set, we heard Hank Fort and the Homesteaders with "You Can't Hurt Me Now Cause I'm Dead." Clarence Williams and his swing band did uh, "Do You Call That Religion?" Then Margaret McKee she did uh, uh, bird impersonations. We heard her doing uh, singing the Sunflower Dance. Margaret McKee. Then uh, Ruth Berman. But she played the harp, and she has an orchestra, and she was also a teacher. She wrote a lot of books about the harp. Very nice lady. I knew her for very many years. And uh, Limehouse Blues is what we heard from Ruth Berman, her harp, and her orchestra. And then Ruth Edding. And that's at the end of the show for this week on the Old Kaiser Show. Be sure if you want to book me for uh, live engagements at your lodge or at your senior center, uh, contact my agent, Lola Bell Pancake. You can reach her at her agency, the International House of Pancake. It's uh, on Route 22 in Union, New Jersey. You're invited to stay tuned for Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. You know, people wonder who's older, me or Hardy. Let's just say that my social security number contains only two digits, while Hardy White's contains five. By the way, interesting fact, number 489 about Hardy White. He has a lamp fashioned in the shape of Mildred Bailey's leg. You won't believe where the switch is located. <laughs> uh, hey, this is WFMU East Irons. WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org and Joe Codger Courtney going now. Gone to get plushed to the scuppers. <laughs> Welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now, won't you, as we sit together and stare off into the far distance. Stare off so far that our stare comes up all the way around and behind us so that we're staring at the back of our own heads. And we laugh because there's a, a stink bug on mine. How did you get off of there, stink bug? That's crazy. Get off of there, silly. Hardy White's Mastering the Art of Archery, as read by Hardy White. Chapter 1. How long have you been practicing archery, Hardy White? Oh, I don't maybe two, three weeks. What? It sounds like you're a beginner. Oh, I think I'm almost pre-beginner. Then why are you telling me how to master the art of archery when you have not? Well, a couple reasons. I think there's more to a skill than mastering it or doing it correctly. And also, I believe the ignorant have a lot to teach us. And if you don't think so, you are blocking yourself off against 90% of the world's teachers. You're not getting all the information and even wrong information that you need to navigate life and to master a skill. There's all sorts of ways things can inadvertently inspire you or teach you. Imagine that you are an accomplished pianist and composer and you're sort of blocked in your progress. And then you hear uh, Jack Owen Mako's Ebony and Ivory. Ebony and Ivory, together in perfect harmony, side by side on your piano keyboard. And you think, Ebony and Ivory, side by side on my piano keyboard. Tone clusters. 
tone clusters. I'm not integrating enough tone clusters into my composition. Honey bunches of oats is the next thing that comes to your mind for some reason. And then all of a sudden, your composition improves and also your regularity. You can improve your mind and your bowels in almost the same moment. Now, are you good at anything? I do not know. Perhaps not. Because I have this philosophy of incorporating a factor of catastrophic failure into whatever I do. What does that mean? Well, I've had a lot of jobs, none really professional, mostly those kind of jobs that we all have, a job to survive. And in those jobs, I have realized something, and that is that most of the work we do is, uh, what's a nice way to say it? Fecal? I don't know. It's kind of crap. A lot of jobs are made-up jobs, and as we're doing them, we're sensing that. Is this work really necessary? During the war, they would ask you to ask yourself, is this trip really necessary as a way of conserving gas? And I ask you to ask yourself during your job, is this job really necessary as a way of conserving mental health? Most of our jobs are ridiculous, and we do them well. Not only that, we devote ourselves to them, all our energy, all our mental and emotional energy to this job that we know is not that great. So when I start a job like that, I make it clear to my coworkers that I am a union guy and not a labor union, but an anti-labor union. What does that mean? You're anti-labor? I'm not anti-labor class. I am anti-working hard. And I am that because I believe that we give too much of ourselves to these things sometimes because we are afraid of not only failure, but a sort of failure that's not even really failure, and that is anything short of perfection and mastery. Now, if you're trying to master a task that is pointless and stupid, what are you really mastering? So I say to my coworkers, I resent it that you're trying so hard because you're making me look bad. I like to see how much I can get away with. And they say, well, I don't have the luxury of getting fired. No, you probably won't be fired. But something you probably haven't done is test the boundaries of the tolerance of your boss. So what I would do is I would try to find out where the line is. How would I know if I've crossed the line if I don't know where the line is? So I'd ease my toe towards that line until you get your first warning. Now, they usually give you a warning before they fire you. And they say, you better get your act together. I say, well, okay, now I know what I can and can't do. And I'm not going to do anything really more than that. So, well, that's not fair to your coworkers. Well, they're not being fair to me. If you are putting all of your energy into something like that, to the detriment of your physical and mental health, if you were trying too hard, and then you are making me, who has devoted themselves to mastering the art of personal relationships, mastering the art of loving my neighbor, my friends, being a good friend. If you're uh, encroaching on my ability to do that, then we do have a conflict. But I think that we can come to an agreement that we must Build failure into things. If you've listened to this show, you realize that it is your show. I may be occupying the seat and I may have the microphone temporarily, but this is a show for those who understand that not everything should be done perfectly. Now, if you were given an hour on the radio on a station that you admired and respected, you would probably try not only your best, but you would put such an incredible amount of effort into it that you would soon become exhausted. As 